Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hey, I want you to think back to your elementary school days. Can you name five assignments that you remember from school that you did and absolutely love doing it? I can. Grade three, I did a project on the Yukon Territory. I picked that Yukon Territory and I had to do the research and put it into a project and a presentation for my class. Grade one, I wrote a book about getting dressed for school and how I could never remember what outfit. My words, I wrote it, I drew it, and we put it into a book that I'm sure is still sitting somewhere in my parents' basement. In grade five, I wrote a speech about pizza. And my teacher wasn't so sure that writing a speech about pizza was going to have enough content to actually satisfy the criteria of the speech, but she let it happen. Turns out, I won my grade level speech competition because of it and got to speak in front of my entire school. But you know what I don't remember? I don't remember the content that was taught in a textbook. I don't remember the worksheets that were handed out to me day in and day out that had content. I can't tell you what I did in some years because I don't remember because it wasn't meaningful. It wasn't engaging. And I guarantee you I missed a lot of content because it simply just went in one ear and out the other. I was good at school. I was good at regurgitating. You could tell me information. I could memorize it for the test and write it down and get a great mark. But I wouldn't remember anything a couple of days later. It made zero impact on me. And I vowed when I became a teacher that I was not going to be the teacher that allowed my students learning to just go in one ear and out the other. I wanted to create memorable moments that students would remember and the learning would be transferable and enduring. They were going to remember these assignments for years to come. Inquiry-based learning was the natural progression for me to be able to accomplish this. But there were some surprising things that I learned about using inquiry-based learning that I thought wasn't possible. Number one, using inquiry-based learning allowed me to stop taking so much work home. It allowed me to stop prepping and planning so much so that I had time to do other things in my free time. It meant that a lot of the marking that I was needing to do to assess my students' learning was happening in the moment, in class, at the same time, because I was focused less on downloading content and information and providing lectures each and every day to my students that I actually spent most of my day assessing. Assessing conversations, observing students' learning, and creating opportunities for them to experience the content of what they were supposed to be learning through hands-on activities, student-selected research projects, and allowing them to lead the learning with their questions. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. 
For the last eight years that I have been running Madly Learning, one of the areas that I have focused on is bringing inquiry-based units to other teachers with the hope that we can simplify that procedure and process to make using inquiry in your classroom make sense and work together. But over the years, I hear the same complaints over and over from teachers that are wanting to try inquiry, but maybe their first go at it isn't so successful. The top complaints that I hear about using inquiry in the classroom is number one, the kids in my room just can't do it. They can't work independently. That using inquiry takes too long, they're not sure how to market, or it actually ends up being more work for you, the teacher. Now, the alternative to using inquiry is using less ideal strategies, such as simply getting a workbook and having students do the very traditional read this article, answer these questions type tasks, or you can quickly throw them into some centers and hope that they're able to get the content that you're teaching them as they're rotating through the various activities or you simply just give them a final project without a lot of teaching and hope for the best. There are many ways that we can teach content, but if your goals are that you want the learning that you're teaching to actually have an impact on your students, if you want to keep them highly engaged and active learners in your classroom, and I would even argue if you want to cut down on your assessment load and you want to simplify your teaching, your prepping, and your planning, then inquiry-based learning is going to be the strategy for you. So I want to go through some of the top complaints that I hear about using inquiry-based learning in your classroom, and I'm going to help you flip it on its head. So the one thing I hear is my kids can't do inquiry. Now, a lot of this is a lot of this is related to just a lack of experience that those students have. Traditionally, if students have had experiences in their educational past where they have been very passive participants in the learning, where they just sit back and are treated as sponges, where the teacher just downloads information to them, they're expected to regurgitate that information back, then these are very passive students. It's not that they can't do inquiry. That is not at all the fact that is what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves all day long they can't do it. The reality is, is that they just haven't practiced it, nor have they shifted their role in education from being the passive participant sponge to the active learner. There is a transition phase, and it sometimes feels messy as we reteach children how to be students in our classroom. That we teach them that we are not just going to download information, that they have to embrace this challenge, that they are expected to do this for themselves, that they have a say, they have some choice and voice. This is a growing period of change for students as you switch them from a traditional-based model to an inquiry-based model. Now, inquiry does not mean necessarily that we have to avoid any of our pandemic um, restrictions. Inquiry is a style of teaching. It is not simply just something that happens to happen in your room once or twice. Getting kids that you feel can't do inquiry 
is really just a matter of these kids don't have an experience with where they're actually being the active participants in their learning. They are very used to a traditional method where they are simply disengaged sponges sitting in their desks, downloaded information into their brains and expected to regurgitate it. These are the kids where the learning literally goes in one ear and out the other. Sure, you can get some assessment data for your report card that generally shows that they can regurgitate that information in the minute. But wait two weeks after you've taught it. Do they still remember it? Are they still learning it? Have they retained any of that information? Are you constantly having to reteach the same content over and over again? It's because they're not actually learning it. They're simply learning to do good at school, which for them means all they need to do is memorize and regurgitate. The second complaint I hear so often is my kids aren't independent enough. Independent work skills requires training. And again, it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. Certainly, the first time you ask students to work independently, they have so much freedom, it kind of goes a little bit nuts. Getting kids to work independently is, again, another trainable skill. It's not an on-off switch like on your wall when you're turning on the lights when you walk into your classroom. Getting kids to work independently is a systematic way to train them to transition them from being able to work only under teacher control and moving them to work independently. It means understanding where they are at their independent work level and allowing open-ended differentiated tasks that allow each student to work within their zone of proximal development so that they can successfully work independently. Two things that are going to damage any student's independent work skills are number one, their over-reliance on the teacher to control their behavior and not them learning that they have an intrinsic ability to control themselves. And number two, the work is too difficult, so therefore they act out to compensate for the fact that they have no idea what they're doing. Training your students to be independent workers is a key Ability is a key thing that teachers need to do when we begin with our classes is teach them this skill. And it's not simply just giving them a task and stepping back, but as a systematic way that we go through minute by minute, building up these students' stamina to be able to sustain their focus during independent work skills for a longer period of time. When we make the lessons engaging, when we make them they're successful at being able to do the activity that we've assigned, when they have confidently understood our instructions and they know exactly what they need to do, students, regardless of their learning profile, are able to work independently. The second thing I hear about inquiry all the time is that inquiry takes too long. I would argue the flip side to that. Inquiry does not take any longer than any other traditional means of teaching when you are actually having the goal of students learning. We look at our curriculum documents as being checklists. We need to understand that they are not a checklist, that we are, we are intended to check off, we are intended to ensure that students are learning the overall expectations and the specific expectations that we are looking at 
are what we use to determine whether we have met the overall expectations. We can integrate the lessons and the learning and we can fill out and complete a inquiry full unit covering all of the expectations in six to eight weeks. If we are simply having our students read and complete a workbook, you certainly could polish that off a lot sooner, but I guarantee you, you are doing it for yourself and you are not doing it for your students. You're doing it because it is easier for you, but it's not better for your students. They don't learn it any quicker if you're doing it in a workbook because granted, they're probably not actually learning it when you're doing it in a workbook in the first place. The fourth thing I hear about using inquiry-based learning in your classroom is that I don't know how to market. Again, this is for us stretching our muscles to remember the triangulation of data. Assessment should come from three different points, products, observations, and conversations. Now, if you are finding that your workload and marking is overwhelming, it's most likely because you have an heavy product-based marking strategy, that you are collecting most of the data on students based on the products that they are producing and less on your observations and conversations. When you balance those three methods of collecting and assessing your students' learning, you will find that you have less overload of marking to do, and you have more opportunities for observations and conversations. However, it is very difficult to mark observations and conversations when all the things that your students are doing is simply reading an article and filling out some worksheets. If you are not present in those conversations, if you are not leading those activities, if you are not around because you're too busy managing all of the time, managing the disengaged students that are acting out because this is a pointless activity that you have assigned, if instead of you actually able to walk around your room, engage students in meaningful conversations about what it is they're learning, observe the hands-on activities that they are doing in your classroom and talking with them, if you are not able to engage in those observations and conversations, then the only thing you have left is products. And if you are overwhelmed with the amount of products because you're handing them paper all the time, then that is going to be an overwhelming load for marking. The best strategies that I use in my classroom for assessing inquiry is tracking my conversations with students, setting a time to meet with small groups or individual groups of students and ask them what they've learned, what they know, getting them to fill out reflection journals after we've done a big, huge activity. One of the most effective activities that I have in my human body unit is where students actually act as blood cells and jump through hoops that represent the four chambers of the heart and then run out to the left and right lung and then run back in and jump through the four chambers of the heart and then go out to the body. There is nothing that you can give me in a worksheet or an article that is going to match the experience that a student has in understanding how the heart works when they are actually jumping through the model of the heart. 
No amount of reading or watching YouTube videos is going to compare to that lived experience of them jumping through the heart. I can observe them as they're jumping through the heart. I can have a conversation with the group as a reflection activity, and then I can have them fill out a quick exit card to tell me what it is they learned from just participating in that event. That right there, observations, conversations are happening in the moment. So if two thirds of my marking is not getting brought home with me because I'm doing it in the moment with my students, that means I have now cut my assessment load down to a third. Inquiry allows me to use projects in my classroom and experiences where I am marking in the moment. Whenever I can mark in the moment as the learning is happening, it means I'm taking less work home. So certainly I am marking what the students are doing and observing, but I am also marking the products in their reflections and the few activities that I do have. But when I keep them balanced between those three areas, my marking is less and I'm able to get a much better, well-rounded way of assessment. Now I will track these conversations simply by making anecdotal notes in a notebook as I'm writing. I will have video recordings. I will tape the conversation that I'm having with students and keep track of it that way. I will have a, the ability to mark off when students have hit expectations. So I am not necessarily assessing their ability to jump correctly through those hoops. I'm assessing the learning that happened. I'm assessing whether or not they satisfied the expectation, whether they satisfied the curriculum, the standards that we are supposed to teach. When I am able to say, yes, they've demonstrated their knowledge of this expectation, that is what I'm assessing. How they have demonstrated that knowledge, the product that they produce, the thing that they do to show me their understanding is not as important as the understanding has been demonstrated. Finally, the last one I get is it's more work for me. I don't know about you, but the most time that takes from my prep and my planning is standing at the photocopier, putting together workbooks and worksheets. If I can walk into my classroom and only have to throw some hula hoops on the ground, if I need to simply get a scrap piece of paper and make a paper airplane for that day's lesson, if I have to just throw up something, a shared reading article that we are reading together that's already on my devices that I don't have to print out and prep, the best activities that I've ever done in my classroom are generally speaking ones that I've had to do very little prep for. Hey everybody, make a bridge, used found objects in our classroom, grab some textbooks, some books, some notebooks, make a bridge that spans between these two desks. There is zero prep with that. I'm not running to the photocopier. I am not running to go get worksheets. In fact, their exit card and their reflection questions that we're doing are simply done on a lined piece of paper. Experiential learning, having students do research, having students ask questions and help them find the answers to their own questions is actually far less prep than printing, collating, and handing out a work pack for my students to complete. 
Yes, when you jump into inquiry, there are growing pains. And you do have to go slowly and slowly release your control. You can't go from a completely teacher-centric model where you are in full 100% control of every aspect of the learning and then flip completely to a student-centric inquiry-based model where they have to do a lot of the work. You cannot go black and white right over. You can't go day to night right over in 24 hours. You need to slowly transition yourself from going from a teacher-centric model to a student-centric model. There is a transition, and yes, it is messy, and people fight change. You as the teacher fight change, and students will fight that change. But you need to know that this is part of the process, part of the process of using more student-centric, engaging inquiry-based activities in your classroom requires there to be a little bit of strife as you are making that transition. Begin by simply asking them questions. Begin by opening up your assignments using multiple ways that students can demonstrate their learning. Begin to have discussions with your students so that you can be observing conversations. Begin to ask your questions to your students so you can have those conversations. Open up the opportunity for you to collect more data through observations and conversations that happen in an inquiry classroom instead of relying solely on product paper-based materials to mark whether or not your students have gotten it. Move away from tests and move more into projects. All of these tasks are slow and it could take you the entire year to move from a fully teacher-centric model to a student-centric model. But once you have made that shift, once you have begun to transition to using more inquiry-based work in your classroom, I guarantee you that you will find that it is easier, your kids are more engaged, and you feel more confident than you ever have before that your kids can know the material that you taught them, that they get it, that they're engaged, and that this is going to be what they will remember when they are 35 years old and somebody says, oh, what was your schooling like? They will remember those assignments that you gave them because they are memorable and lasting and enduring. Thank you so much for joining me, and we will be back next week with another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.